I'd say to Nina, honey, no matter how big the writing was on those things, maybe you just have to use the screen, right? Or your glasses. So how has the new year started for you? Has it been a good start? Well, we're believing that's gonna be a great year this year, 2024. So this morning, I'm gonna start with a little bit of an announcement. Uh, It's nothing too serious, but it's also something that's not small. So I thought you'd like to be made aware of it. Can you maybe turn me down just a little bit? Just I feel like I'm a bit loud. So this year, my new year is starting a little bit differently. You may have noticed that this morning I wasn't at the door as you came in. I love to do that. I love to say hi to everyone and do those different things. But there's a reason that I wasn't there today, and that's because on Thursday, I have to go in for an operation. And uh, if I get a cold or a flu, if I get some sort of bug, that means they won't operate and it's an operation I really wanna have. So even though I know that you're all as clean and pure as the driven snow, right? I thought I'd take some precautionary measures and it's also why I probably won't hang around after the service. It's not personal, it's not you, it's not anything like that. I've just put myself into a bit of a self-imposed quarantine. Because uh, I do want this surgery to happen. I've, I've been a healthy person. I'm 61 years old, and really I've had no sicknesses in my life. Sickness hasn't really visited me. I get migraines, and there's medication that can deal with that, and that's pretty much it. You get a bit of a cough and a cold every now and again, but, uh, you know, I've, I've been well. But every year, as every person over 50 should do, I want to tell you that right now. Every person over 50 should do this. You should go to your doctor and have a checkup. And I do that every year after 50, and they prod here and they prod there, and they look at your skin and check your moles and do all that. They, they check your blood and they check your heart and they look at all these different things, and it's very, very wise thing to do. So normally that's it. You go for your test, you get your blood tests and all of that, You don't hear from your doctor until next year and we go, beauty, right? But in May last year, the doctor called me back and he said, I've got some concerns and to be honest, that's not a phone call you really wanna have, right? So, uh, and so I went and saw him and he told me that my PSA was up and uh, sent me for tests and after MRIs, biopsies, PET scans that I've been going through all this last year, I was informed in August that I've been diagnosed with prostate cancer. So it was a bit of a shock, and to be honest, unexpected. But I thank God for the fact that because I get regular checkups, they were able to diagnose a disease at its very earliest stage. And to be honest, if you have to get one of these things, this is a good one to get. It's very treatable, it's very common, and a medical treatment that they have for it is very advanced. And because of these things, I still have many, many years to live, so don't be worried about that. I'm in good hands. But the removal of the prostate is considered major surgery. The average length of surgery is six hours. I found that out this week. I was like, oh my goodness. I thought it was like really quick, but it's not, all right? So I need time to recover from that. So I'm not gonna be around much in January. So I just said, there's a few things I wanna say. I wanna thank God for Nina. Nina's gonna take carer's leave. And, uh, and I, I love that she's gonna be my carer, right? But she doesn't know this. I've got a bell, right? <laughs> And I was going to ring this bell, and I reckon she'll be back to work on Friday, right? But, uh, uh, so, uh, right? I thank God for my family. I've got a great family who supported me. My daughter's coming back from London, not because of this, but for some other reasons, which I'm really happy about, so it'd be good to have her home. 
I thank God for the staff at Emerge. You know, will do a fantastic job while I'm convalescing. You know, Pastor Joe will be looking after things while I'm uh, away until I get back. But mostly I thank God for his presence. See, it's times like this that you appreciate that God lives inside of us and that's a constant comfort. And it's a reassurance that resides in your very core because Jesus has left us his peace. You know, last year was was one of those years for me in the area of health. After I got back from Cambodia, the doctor rang me and I'd been for a skin test before that and he says, you need to come in now for the immediate removal of a melanoma and if we don't get it, I found out recently that within six months it would have just been over. They had to get it out now, so I came in. So they cut that cancer out of me and because of that, I'm free of that, healed of that and I'm whole. And that's what I'm believing for with this operation. That after Thursday, they'll cut that cancer from me and I'll be free, healed, and whole. So I've got everything I need. To be honest, I've got everything I need. You don't need to visit me. You don't need to do things. Jack said he's going to mow my lawn, right? I live to see that. I don't know if that'll really happen. I reckon it'll be like VIP lawn services at our house that he's paid for, but who knows? Right? But I'm actually blessed with great support. But there is one thing that you can do for me, and that's pray for me. You know, prayer is my love language. And at the end of the service, I'm going to ask someone to come and we're going to just pray for me. That, that's my love language. You love me, tell me that you're praying for me, and then not just tell me, actually pray for me. Pray that the operation achieves all that the doctors are after. Pray for the doctors. Pray that they get all of the disease. Pray for my recovery, that it's quick. They want me to take six weeks to recover, but that in itself would just be horrible. Right? I can't do that. So I'm believing that I'm going to be back for the Vision Sunday on the 4th of February. So on Thursday, if you think of me, pray for me. Also pray for Nina, because it obviously hits her hard as well. But we are people of faith. We are not people of fear. We trust that God is in control and that with the doctor's hands and our great, good and gracious God in control, that we will walk through this and we will come out of it with a great testimony. And as I said before, I thank God for his presence because it's times like this that you appreciate that God lives inside of you. God's peace very much upholds you at a time like this. See, Hebrews 9 begins with a description of Moses' temple. And it describes what the very inner sanctum was, like the holy of holies was, and of, of what was inside the temple at its very, very core. So let's read from verse 9, Hebrews 9 verse 4. Having the golden altar of incense and the ark of the covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn holding the manna and Aaron's staff that budded and the tablets of the covenant. So all of us would have seen, I'm guessing at some stage, Raiders of the Lost Ark. That's what they were looking for, right? They, that, that, that's what they were looking for. The ark was like a box. And Hebrews 9 tells us that in that box, 
There were 10 commandments. The, uh, 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 the 10 commandments were in the box. There was some manna, which was with the food that God supplied the children of Israel as they walked through the wilderness. And then it says that it had Aaron's buttered rod. So that represents the three things that God's presence, that God has given to us. The 10 commandments are showing us that God has given us all a way to live. Manna always reminds us that God will always provide for us, that we're never going to be in lack. We may not have everything we want, but we're never actually going to be in lack. And then it gives us Aaron's buttered rod, which shows us that God has given us his authority on the earth. Now, the ark was very scary in many ways. And if you saw Raiders of the Lost Ark, it was very Hollywood. But there are Bible stories that actually show you the power of the ark. You know, there's a story which I reckon describes the most stupid men and women in the Bible, right? In Acts Samuel, oh, sorry, in 1 Samuel 6, 70 men... So just men, not women, right? 70 men are killed because they looked into the ark. Now, after 10 people die, right? Why are you now looking in the ark? Right, you, oh, no, not me. All right, Jace, oh, he's gone. Right, so Mitch gone, Keith's gone. Right. So suddenly, Pastor Fred's like, you can look in the ark. I'm not looking. Right, he's smart. Right, 70 men die because they look in the ark. The ark's only like a two-foot box. It's not like they kind of all looked at the same time. So it describes a, a lot of stupidity on their behalf. You would have thought that at least by 50, right, the last 20 especially, right, they can walk in over bodies to have a look. Right? <laughs> One of my favourite stories about the ark is from 1, uh, 2 Samuel uh, I'm sorry, 1 Samuel 5, where the, where, the, where the ark has been captured. And so it's been captured by the Philistines. And so they bring it into their temple and they set it up because they thought, you know, we've got the, uh, the Israelite God and they set it up in the temple. And the next day they come and their God has fallen to the ground and in a posture of worshipping where the ark was. Then the next thing what happens, they put it back up. The next day they come and it's fallen down again, but this time its hands have broken off. And then all of a sudden, the people of the area start getting tumors and start getting sick and dying. And they're going, we don't want this ark. This thing is not good. And they put it on a, a, a cart with donkeys and, a, and it goes back to Israel. And so they, they, it's always been an amazing thing. In, in 2 Samuel chapter 6, we see that when the ark was being moved to a new place, when one of the cows tripped, they were pulling the, that was pulling the ark and the cart, a man tried to steady it, and he's just killed straight away. And David, who's the king at that time, is so scared to move the ark that what he does is he leaves the ark with a guy named Obed-Edom. And the Bible says that the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and his entire household because the ark was in his house. See, when you carry around the presence of God in your life, there's always going to be blessing. When you mock the presence of God in your life, when you make it that God isn't as important, there's always going to be cursing. And that's what it is. It's the result of praising and looking to God brings blessing. The result of rejecting God brings cursing. 
You don't read in the Bible much about the demise of the ark, but most people would say and most scholars believe that it was actually destroyed by the Babylonians. The ark was called the ark of the covenant. It was saying there was a covenant between man and God. It wasn't Noah's ark. Right? This wasn't Noah's Day. It was the Ark of the Covenant. And it carried God's presence. It would go before Israel in battle and it held the presence of God. The Ark was a visible sign of the holy presence of the Lord, whose real throne is actually on high above the heavens. But it was more than just a sign, for the Ark was also the focal point of God's actual presence among his people. So let's look at Exodus 25, verse 22. I will meet you there. This is God speaking. I will meet with you there and talk to you from above the atonement cover between the gold cherubim that hover over the Ark of the Covenant. From there, I will give you my commands for the people of Israel. That's where God spoke. It was through his presence from the ark. But we don't need a physical ark with us now because we are the carriers of the presence of God. We are now the symbol of God's presence on the earth. That's why though I'm faced with a current challenge, I'm not troubled or perturbed because God's presence in me results in peace. So you can read the Bible from cover to cover. God never promises happiness. Yet that is what the world is trying that we should all be after. We need to get happiness. You need to be happy. If it makes you happy, then just do it. And depending on your version of what makes you happy, that's what you should pursue. But the Bible never promises that because happiness is dependent on circumstances. And circumstances means you, you, you have no control, right? But Jesus does promise us peace. That's the promise of God, not happiness, but peace. John 14, 27 says this, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give you. Let not your hearts be troubled, Neither let them be afraid. In August this year, Nina and I got troubling news. We, we got a report we didn't want, we didn't expect. The circumstances don't make me happy. I don't go, whoa, this is great news, fantastic. But I tell you, we do have peace. We aren't afraid. We aren't overly troubled. Yes, we've talked. It's quite funny. One of the things... Um, as a member of the state executive, we are talking to all the pastors of our state to actually have some professional supervision and you know, be able to talk to someone, right? Now, I've never been such a, a person for this, but I'm saying I'm asking other people to do it. So maybe they, you know, maybe I should do it myself, right? And, uh, and I'll be, it'll be good, you know? And, and, and I didn't go in with a great lot of... Uh, confidence, right? And uh, so, but I went and I went and saw. His, and then he said to go about your diagnosis. Have you talked to Nina? What does Nina think? Oh, she's all right. She's fine. But did, have you asked her how she's going? And, 
well, she would tell me. She's all right. She's not freaking out. But, but have you actually asked her? No. All right. So, and I just thought, she'll tell me. We walk and talk every Monday, right? She hasn't said anything. She must be all right. So I say, Nina, how, how are you feeling about my diagnosis? Then, See, we, we talked. You know, we're not super spiritual about this. Our, our, our head isn't in the sand about the realities. But we got peace. We're not afraid. And we have that peace because we have the presence of Jesus inside of us. It's good being an ark. It's good being an ark. But this is where the rubber hits the road. This is where the message turns from being a, kind of about me and now moves into being about us, about us as a church, about us as a merged church, and where God is taking us in 2024. So remember last week as I pulled out a scripture or a story from every chapter of Luke, showing us that God cared and that Jesus cares about the people who have yet to come to church, people who aren't Christians, the yet to be Christians. See, the ark of God and the ark of the old covenant we, in a sense, are the ark of the new covenant. We symbolize God to the people that we come into contact with. And just as it was with the ark, in that it wasn't the wooden box itself overlaid with gold that held the power, it was the God who is inside the box, the presence of God inside the box. It's not us that kind of holds this kind of aura around us or this presence around us. It's the God inside us. Jesus lives inside of you. At the end of this message, I'm going to give you an opportunity if you don't know Jesus to ask Jesus to come and live inside of you, inside of your heart. Because once you have that presence of God, you also have the authority of God, the provision of God, the way to live of what God is actually doing and can do in your life. So I'm going to ask you the question, do you symbolize God, Jesus, to the people that you come into contact with? Is there a power in you that affects the circle or affects the people inside your circle of influence? Is the presence of God so within you that it touches all those that you come into contact with? And this is what I feel. In our society, right now, there are all sorts of bowed down people. Bowed down with addiction, bowed down with financial stress, bowed down by broken relationships, bowed down with their own mistakes and failures, bowed down with, with sickness, bowed down with worry. And because they're bowed down, they're not able to walk properly. They're not able to, to see ahead, but they can only live in their present circumstances. Many people don't see Jesus as the answer to their problems because they can't see past their own feet. They're bowed down. Yeah. I see my stress. I see my worry. I see that relationship breakdown. I see that child going crazy. I, I, I just see I'm bowed down. And it's when they come into the presence of Jesus that they can lift up. 
God is going to send us this year to the bound down. Not just in church, but in your block of units, in your street, in the sporting club or club that you're involved in, in the school that your grandchild goes to, in in the supermarket that you shop in, on the bus or the train that you take to school and work. There's going to be all sorts of bowed down people. And you need to allow that presence of God to come and touch those people. Be ready to to give a reason for the hope that's inside of you. That when someone comes and talks to you in your workplace, that you emerge as as, as someone that, that has the presence of God in their life because their answer isn't in you, but their answer is in the God who is in you. And that's what we got to do. We have to carry that presence of God. The bowed down are going to come and they're going to know that something different is about you. Your light, something about you will be different. See, the blessing of God resided in the house of Obed-Edom because the presence of God was there. The presence of God now resides in us so we can live with that same Obed-Edom blessing. But as the blessing of God is on you, it's not just for you, because God wants, it's on you because God wants to use you to lift the head of the bowed down. That's the peace that Jesus leaves us. See, when we start to use our troubling, fearful, unexpected and undeserved circumstances to understand and help others, instead of feeling sorry about ourselves and and what we're going through, then God will bless us because he can trust us with the people that he sends. See, that's what I believe, that God is going to send us this year a whole lot of bowed down people. They're not going to come in here perfect. They're going to come with their issues. They're going to come with their problems. They're going to come with their failures and their their sins. And instead of being rejected and and pushed away, come on, when you're living holy, when you're doing right, when you you reach this standard, you can come in. But but they're going to come in in all different ways. And we're going to speak a word of faith into their life, a word of light into their life. And and slowly they'll be able to start to see that that, that God is for them. And then they can start to move forward in their life and they can start to sense the presence of God and the blessing of God in their life. We're called to the bow down. We're called to those who are hurting, not to judge them, not to find the reasons they're like that, not to have all of these issues with them, but to love them and allow the presence of God in our lives to touch them and to draw them. Can they see the love and the light of God through you? Are you carrying the presence of God that actually touches other people? I want the band to come. You know, one of the many things I love about our church is that if you talk to our core leaders, if you definitely talk to our staff, you talk to all the people who are really you know, doing so much, we're not interested in just building a nice group of people. We don't want to have a good club, right, where people just love each other. And, and we want people to love each other. We want all those good things of, of hospitality, of fellowship to, to happen. 
but we're wanting to build a house where God can send those who are bowed down, those that have yet to know him, those that, that society maybe have said, we don't, we don't know. As Jesus said, I, I come to the sick. I didn't come to the world, I come to the sick. And, and we want to build a place where God will draw people and bring people and they will see and sense the presence of God. Yeah. You know, my, this is a, a funny story, but it's not so funny because we're going to see some different things. My brother, the first time he came in church, and my brother had been involved in a whole lot of different things. The first thing that he did when he came into church, this is the church back in Adelaide, he actually like got the presence of God so hit him in his spirit because there was something there that wasn't right. He went out, literally out the side door of the Paradise Church and screamed at the top of his voice because that impact of the presence of God was dealing with the demon that was inside of him. And he was just set free. The next time he came to church, he gave his life to Christ and he's still walking with God today. How good is that? Ask yourself the question, in 2024, where are you where you are regularly with the unsaved so that they can see and sense and let the presence of God in you affect them? Some of us live such closeted lives, right? We have our workplaces, but we don't do anything to actually See the unsaved say. We don't do regular things. Yesterday, Nina and I had our 28th wedding anniversary. And uh, yes. You know, Nina put up a post telling everyone how good a husband I am. Right? And, uh, and she was right. That's right. She was correct. But uh, it, was, it was interesting. We got a number of comments. One of the things that hit me is that two of our neighbours in Adelaide, so we haven't been in Adelaide now, it's our 14th year here in Brisbane. So that's a long time ago. Two of our neighbours in Adelaide took the time to write a comment on that post about how thankful they were that we were their neighbours. Right, isn't, isn't that incredible? Right, like, and that's, I'm not boasting, but we actually care. Right, we actually took time to, to do something with our neighbours. Both of them wrote, we are missed and we haven't had neighbours like you since. Right? Must be, I don't know who moved in the house. Right? <laughs> but it had an effect. You haven't had an effect. You have to put yourself in that place where you can have an effect. You know, just last week, I, I, I won't identify her. But a lady came to me after the service and she told me, you know, you spoke about being kind to your neighbours and doing something with your neighbours. And I took that to heart and I knew that my neighbour was sick and, and needed an operation. And I told him that we are praying for him. And, and he thought, oh, he kind of like was a little bit taken aback by that. But then he's gone through his operation, gone through his different things. And he came to her recently and just said, I just want to thank you that you prayed for me. See, the thing is, it's not just that you have to do something amazing and do this and, you know, make all these meals and do all that. If you can do that, fantastic. Nina became the sower of our street. 
Literally everyone would come and bring their clothes to Nina to mend in the, in the street because they knew Nina would do that and didn't charge him anything. She's just happy to do that. Right, just use whatever it is. Right, if you can mow your neighbor's lawn. You know, there was one neighbor, I remember of us, and he was an older man and, and so he just couldn't mow his lawn anymore. So I'll just go and mow his lawn. Every week I'd just go and mow his lawn. And then one day he had a fall and he was in the bathroom and he, you know, like had just sawed himself. And I was able to, to go there and, and just help at that time. He was really embarrassed at the time because, you know, like it was the scene, but his wife was unable to lift him up. And, but where did they go? They, they call for us because there's something around us. There's something, you know, like our neighbours now will come and call on us. There's, there's kindness there. There's, there's, there's a heart. There's something of the presence of God. There's a drawing. So I'm not boasting. But where are you with your neighbours? Where are you with your work friends? I remember when I used to work in the secular job, I uh, would always sit there and worship, especially a youth group on a Saturday night, and I'd worship and I'd say, God, don't touch me. Touch those people I work with. I'm worshipping God. But the, the presence that I would get because I'm worshipping, don't come and touch me. Come and touch them. You know, there's one guy who did a lot of drugs, and I'd always tell him, you shouldn't be doing drugs, you shouldn't be doing these different things. And one night he took these terrible drugs and he started to think that there was a demon inside of him. And he thought to himself, how am I getting this demon out of me? How do I get it? It was the drugs talking, it wasn't an actual demon. And he goes, I need to get to Mark. Right? And he had the, 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 the full of thought to what he's going to do is he says, I can't drive because I'm, you know, I'm influenced by drugs. He goes, I know you'll be at church tonight, so I'm going to go to church, right? And so he starts going to church. He goes, I've got to be faster. So he starts to run. Then he thinks in his mind, he goes, I'm, I'm running too slow. This demon is getting me. He's running too slow. Only Mark can help me, right? And, and he's running too slow. He literally takes off all of his clothes and runs naked down a main street. Right, of Adelaide, right, Glenburn Road. If you've been to Adelaide, it's a big road, right? You're running naked there. Someone obviously calls the police because he's a large fella, right? And uh, someone calls the police and they get him and they have to actually hold him down because he's just got this thing is, I've got to get to Mark Elmendorf. I've got to get to Mark Elmendorf. You know, like, obviously that was a mental psychosis brought on by drugs, right? But get something about, I would go visit him where he was spent some time there in, in, in the mental hospital. I'd go visit him. But about six months later, I'm doing the count at church, the end of the church, they're doing the altar call. And then I see Nick just come down the aisle and he comes and he gives his life to Jesus. So we've got to start to have an effect on people's lives. We've got to carry that presence of God around us. So just I want you to take a moment and say, God, today I want to make a difference in people's lives. Close your eyes right now. Close your eyes right now and just say, God, I, I want to make a difference. I want your presence in me to affect the unsaved. 
to affect the unsaved. Let the, let the blessing in me affect those that I come into contact with, oh God. Father, give me discernment. Give me faith. Give me a heart for the unsaved. Father, let 2024 be the year in which we see the bow down start to straighten up in your presence, oh God. Father, they can look past their circumstances. They can look past what it is that they're having to go through, oh Lord. The real deals that they're living with, oh God. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus. Draw them. Draw them and use us. Let us emerge. Let us emerge in their lives, oh God. Father, I ask that in Jesus' name. Father, I believe that you're going to send us many people who don't know Jesus who are going to come to faith here, oh God. Father, Lord, let the presence in this house, let the, the goodness of God, the hand of God, let it be that it, that it straightens them up, oh God. Father, I'll be able to lift up their hands to heaven, oh God, in praise and in glory for what you've done, oh Lord. Father, there was a, a lady bound for 28 years, bowed down, oh Lord. And she came into the presence of Jesus and in a moment, Jesus said, woman, thou art loosed. And that devil that bound her just was gone. And she stood up straight. She couldn't look into Jesus' eyes, but as she stood up straight, she saw her Saviour. Father, Lord, let people see Jesus in this place. Father, as they stand up straight, Father, all the people around Redcliffe, around Morayfield, around here at Warner, oh God. Father, where you've called us to be a light. Father, draw them in. Those bowed down, draw them in. Draw them in, oh God, that they may find Jesus, that they would live free. They would live free. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus. And as I spoke about before, you've never asked Jesus to come and live inside of you. If that's you today, I'd, I'd love to just pray with you. Could you just raise your hand in this place? I'd love to just pray with you. Anyone at all? As I look over, you want to give your life to Christ? As I look over the building? Amen. Well, we're going to finish with one thing. It is a little bit selfish. But as I said, praying for me is my definite love language. So I'm going to ask Nina to come. And I'm going to ask if you would stand. I'm going to ask David Elder. David Elder has been looking out for me, really from the day in which we came. So why don't you stand? And I'm going to ask David to come and pray. Maybe just bring a microphone. Oh, you got one? All right, and we're going to just pray. And I'm going to ask you to just pray for Nina and I over this next week. Amen. Yeah, hi. Um, we can take a moment. We've got some time. It's important. So let's do this. And isn't it wonderful that we serve a healing God? So I'm going to ask, if you've experienced the healing power of God or you know someone who's healed, experienced the healing power of God, you put your hand up. Yeah, 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 yeah. We, we serve a healing God. 
We serve a wonderful God. And uh, Pastor Mark, this morning when I got up, you know, we read the Bible as we do, chapter after chapter. And my chapter today was in um, the Gospel of Matthew. And towards the end of the chapter, um, in a certain place they heard Jesus was coming. So they went out in all the villages, all the surrounding areas and brought in all those who were sick. And it simply says that they came hoping that they might touch the edge of his garment. And of course it says there, and all who touched him were healed. Not a few. All who touched him were healed. So this morning, we're going to reach out and touch him. And we do love our senior pastor, his wife, don't we? So we are going to pray. Yeah, yeah. So Father, we live in a wonderful country. We thank you, Father, for the medical services that we can avail ourselves of. We ask, Heavenly Father, that upon the doctors and the medical staff, that, Lord, that your anointing and your grace would be upon them. Especially this Thursday, Lord, we're asking that this surgery will go well. But, Father, ultimately our eyes are on you, for you are our Lord and King. You're the one who heals all our, who forgives all our sins and heals all our diseases. So, Father, we look to you. And, Father, our prayer is simple. We simply ask, Lord, that this cancer will be contained. We ask, Father, that this cancer will be removed. We ask, Father, that the recovery will be quick and full. And, Father, we're even bold enough to ask that, Lord, the recovery will be so full that it'll be as though the surgery had never taken place, that it will be full and complete. And, Father, we ask, we ask that this cancer will never return, that its power be broken over Pastor Mark's life, never to return again. And Father, we're even bold enough to ask that cancer will never visit Pastor Mark in the future again. In Jesus' name. We thank you, for, Father, for your grace. We bless your name. Bless her. Let your grace be upon the house. Let your grace be upon Pastor Mark and Pastor Nina's house. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.